Glenn Burley, Chief Exec of South Warwickshire FT, George Elliott, Amway Valley, and you're listening to the HSJ Health Check podcast. Welcome to the HSJ Health Check podcast. I'm Dave West, HSJ's Deputy Editor, and each week we will gather a cast from our team of expert journalists to explain and debate the most important news issues right now in NHS policy and leadership. HSJ Health Check brings you a uniquely up-to-the-minute, robust and informed analysis. We're available each Friday morning on the hsj.co.uk website and across all the main podcast channels. This week, I'm joined by one of our podcast regulars, HSJ Workforce Correspondent Annabelle Collins, by our Bureau Chief for Finance, Lawrence Dunhill, and by Rebecca Thomas, who covers the West Midlands for us, among other things. In each episode, we'll tackle two or three big issues from the week's news, and it has been a very newsy week for the NHS. But I want to focus here today on three stories. Firstly, the developments in the unfolding Shrewsbury and Telford maternity scandal, Second, the latest developments in the NHS pensions crisis. And thirdly, the curious case of the latest departure of the latest in a string of Barking, Havering and Redbridge Trust finance directors. Firstly, we're going to start with Shrewsbury and Telford, uh, where in a case uh, of the Shrewsbury and Telford Hospital Trust, um, HSJ has covered over the last year or so um, emerging and severe concerns about uh, the about standards and care failings in maternity services um, and, 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 and big uh, story has broken this week um, revealing more about the extent of that. There is an investigation, independent investigation still ongoing and lots of questions outstanding so there's only so far we can we can debate that that issue in and out this week um, but Rebecca could you start off by telling us what have we learned new this week about what's happened in, in Shropshire? Well, we knew the so we knew the review was um, uh, being undertaken. Um, what we've learned this week is the scale of harm so far that's been found so far. So, forty two um, forty two examples where um, failures have led to a child's death, which I think that's a staggering figure on its own. Let alone if you compare it to what was uncovered in Morecambe Bay, I think that was 11 children. Uh, so uh, <clears throat> what's new this week is really how big this scandal could potentially be. And of course, there's still hundreds of cases yet to be reviewed. So for all we know, the figures could double uh, in a year's time. Okay, I think yeah, it's pretty important to underline that the the investigation, the the, the news this week is from an from, from an uh, an update on the investigation early in the year, isn't it? So we we await to um, await the final findings. But it sounds like the impression is we could could it could be some time before we find out those those final um, the final uh, uh, scale of of what's happened and the final analysis of of what's gone wrong. Is that fair to say? Yeah, definitely. I mean, and there'll be loads of questions to answer along the way. Um, particularly the role the regulators have mm. or questions for the regulators, NHS England, CQC, NHSI. Mm. Um, it's too early to tell, but those are questions which will most likely be explored at some stage. Mm. What, sort of, what sort of a state is the trust in now, Rebecca? It's it, uh, uh, kind of lots of the people still there or is it a whole new kind of leadership team up there now? 
Yeah, we so we virtually the trust virtually has a new leadership team to the one that was in place last year. So the leaders now currently are not dealing are not the, those who will have had oversight of any of these issues before. Um, so certainly a big challenge for them um, and the new chief executive that's come due to come in in February next year. Mm. And was a lot of that turnover because of because of these problems emerging or is it kind of difficult to say? You can speculate. Um, I mean, uh, y- you could strongly speculate. Yes, it could perhaps be connected, but we don't know. I couldn't say for certain. They've had a lot of other, other things going on. Well, yes, so they've had a lot of so. they've had a lot of attention on their A and E A and E performance, for example. But yeah, this is could have likely played a big factor. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where it goes now. Often with these scandals, it will s- it kind of starts off with one organisation or trust, and then people start to scrutinise the wider oversight from uh, regulators and the Care Quality Commission. And is it is it right in that? Um, the CQC actually rated their maternity services good a couple of times um, within the last five years or so. Yeah, they did. And I think um, those that read our, our story, Bill Kirkup gave us some interesting perspective on uh, how the CQC uh, is able to pick up things like this if potentially uh, issue uh, a trust is not being transparent about an issue. But we don't know if this is the case then. Um, it's interesting to know what... what we interesting to think about what your take is and whether it should be that in that staging process where we should have a trust and then look at the system and then look at the regulators mm. um, or whether that should be at the same time that's a question to ask whether it's possible to review those things at the same time yeah I mean I'm, I'm you would think that in these circumstances um, the regulators are looking at what they've done whether they uh, yeah they can't publicly there's a sort of a sort of a, an established process where they where they can't um, Establish norms where they can't sort of formally reflect on it all or openly reflect on it until until the sort of review has taken place, isn't there? Whether that's right is is in, is, is perhaps interesting. But the uh, and the trust itself has sort of made point to stress, although um, has made a point of stressing we have been taking lots of actions over the last year or whatever to um, to to deal with the issues, um, though they haven't specified what what exactly they've been doing and whether they can deal with it all until it's out in the open. We, we don't know. What's the um what's the response of the trust been like, Rebecca? Uh, well the the statement they put out on the day the news story broke was uh, it, honestly quite uh, vague and kind of only said um, the minimum, which I suppose it is um, <coughs> it is some somewhat handicapped in what it might what it can say. Um, what it, what it didn't do and what it could have done is what work has been done to address what has been raised by the report because the trust this report this interim report has um, been kicking around since january so what action plans Mm. have actually been put in place to address all of these problems we don't know all right thanks um so clearly a serious case which looks (laughs) like it will have have big consequences in it on a number of fronts and and of course we'll follow that um as more um as more becomes clear um Let's move on to our onto our second issue for today, um, which is uh, one we've returned to a number of times already on our on our young podcast, um, which is the the pensions um, crisis, which is playing absolute havoc operationally in the NHS at the moment, especially as we we going t- into winter. Um, and there have been two two developments um, effectively this week, um, one of which um, from HSJ on Monday we published um, a leader by our editor Alistair McClellan 
um, making the point particularly more about the long-term issue um, and, uh, under the headline, what if the doctors don't come back, uh, making the, the points about uh, that, that doctors actually are, are, are realising as they stop doing additional work because of the pensions problem that they may enjoy a um, work-life balance. Um, um, but first of all, um, the more pressing uh, short-term issue um, broke early in the week when um, it emerged that NHS England and um, with interaction with government had been uh, cooking up what they hope would be a sort of stopgap um, solution to this problem for the current year, um, which would obviously be, be a big deal if it could could be successful. Um, and so, uh, Annabelle, could you, um, w could you um, without uh, wanting to go through all the history again, talk instead about what's what's changed this week on on that front? Um, so I think it's important to talk about the context behind this to start with. So that is um, Pauline Phillips' letter sent to all trusts. Uh, we discussed this on the podcast just a few weeks ago, um, just a few weeks ago. And that letter was um, unequivocal in um, it's sort of, um, I think the wording was really strong saying that trusts must do something about the pensions crisis and the fact that doctors are not working extra shifts. So um, this is a reaction to that. Um, I've been told that um, this is something that has come from NHS England um, and it was described to me as um, a sincere attempt and a genuine creative solution to the problem. But this is certainly something that's a short term measure. Um, as you said, it, this is only going to be in place until March 2020. Um, and the, the, the hope is that it will help to ease some of the winter pressures um, to keep some of the lists running that they're worried are going to be cancelled. Um, although obviously the main pressures we're going to be seeing over the winter are in emergency departments. So as emergency clinicians, um, my understanding is they're not necessarily going to be working extra program programmed activities in the way that some of their elective colleagues might be. So I'm not completely clear on um you know how them cutting down would have affected um uh, emergency performance mm. and do you think uh, you know g the early reactions from the medical profession does it look like this uh solution is a solution assuming it gets finalized which you know we can talk about in a minute it hasn't been uh, formalized or finalized yet um the 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 proposal is um uh you know in very very simple terms i think that that the doctors wouldn't lose out because of uh, a fix around putting the money um that they that they would have had to pay uh, uh, taking out of their pension fund and recompensating that in future D does it look like a sort of fix that that will work that will simplify things enough for the doctors that would be affected to go and do that extra work you know as soon as over the next few weeks and months well i think the short answer to that is at the moment we just don't know because there's been absolutely no detail on this um proposal we haven't had um there was a promised letter that um apparently has been sent out i've i've not seen a copy of it i'm not sure if it has been sent out um as i understand it we're still waiting for sign off at quite high level so yeah, um, i think all the signs yeah. are that the the the, the, the while uh, the solution has um been fairly well developed internally there's uh, as yet it's not had um you know as we speak on um thursday uh lunchtime it, it's as yet not had the kind of um sign off from everyone involved that would be necessary to get out and tell the workforce which yeah. is obviously the absolutely crucial point yeah, is to definitely. get it out to doctors and at the moment it's obviously a tricky time with the election going on so perhaps that could be a factor in why it's not been signed off um but it's, it's interesting because what we know so far it sounds it has been described as a twist on scheme pays which is the mechanism that people can use to um kind of uh, use the pension use use their pension pot to pay off their tax bill 
Um, and as I understand it, and apologies if this is incorrect, but that it will, it will be reimbursed upon their retirement by their employer. Um, which to me at first sounded quite expensive, but then I suppose we're not talking about a huge number of people. Um, yeah. And this would be an expense that an NHS in the future is going to have to, to pay out because some of these mm. people might not be retiring for decades. I think we're also talking about sort of desperation, aren't we? Basically? Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's totally... And I think, I think you know, I think they're right to be desperate. I think, um, as Alistair said in his leader last week, um, m- maybe the doctors won't come back. And I think that's, that's completely right. I think um, it's not all about money. I think it actually um, perhaps... You know, why is it strange that doctors only want to work their contracted programmed activities um i think perhaps some of them but i think i think i think it comes down to the fact that there are workforce shortages because if we had enough consultants then um they wouldn't need the, the, the ones already working in the nhs wouldn't need to take on extra shifts mm. so um there's obviously another argument there about workforce planning and um kind of just general shortages mm. i'm curious what you think the catalyst of has been for it this to happen now in the middle of powder i mean no winter's been coming for a long time i mean this pensions issue has been Mm. a long-running issue so why now and not two months ago again i think i think coming back to that letter from pauline phillip i think that was the straw that broke the camel's back in this situation i think um the the bma and other uh, medical unions the hcsa have all been um have all been campaigning pretty tirelessly on this over the last few months and it's got an awful lot of national pickup i think i think once this started affecting patients and and waiting lists and warnings about patient safety it really it, it got people's interest um i mean i did see arguments on on social media that this isn't, wasn't going to be a very popular um topic to to win votes on an election i mean so these are the, some of the most high, the most highly earning people in in the country and we're talking about an annual allowance of forty thousand pounds which is more than a nurse earns in a year to put it in context so it's in, it is interesting that they've they've brought it up now it's not necessarily going to be a vote winner but i think it comes down to fears about um electives being cancelled and, and we've seen a story this week uh, with a trust saying they're cancelling all their electives so i think it's a very real fear mm, and a and e i mean they make you quite uh, you know absolutely agree that the main impact will, will could probably be on um the elective waiting list there is a sort of some knock on 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 emergency care and uh, at this time of year um you know everybody just gets very nervous and very sensitive and very um uh and rightly concerned about mm. um pressures and safety in the queue in, in emergency care um don't mm. it's, it sounds like as you say that that letter from um uh, from Pauline Philip, the, the emergency care, the performance are the other week sort of crystallised this kind of fury and focus on actually needing to do something. Have you have you heard anything from um, from chief execs or sort of local leaders about uh, in response yet to this to, to the developments this week? Or? Um, again, I think there's frustration among the chief execs um, and other quite senior managers I've spoken to that this once again only applies to doctors and of course other professions impacted too particularly um managers somebody i spoke to um has said that they are very concerned about the equality argument when it comes to this and how perhaps there are other members of the workforce this is affecting that aren't going to be helped by this stopgap measure that's being introduced for clinicians mm-hmm. yeah i think that uh, that's key uh, um uh, you know in terms of our, of, of of senior NHS managers and other professionals feeling left out of this, um, although they're not sort of operationally the crucial ones right now, aren't they? But uh, also picked up a bit of, um, y- you know, you've got to be concerned about this gap between this the, the sort of plan leaking on, um, I think, Tuesday. Mm. 
evening um and then we're now thursday lunchtime and no no uh confirmation and formalization the mm. longer um you know whoever's involved allows that to get on the more space and airtime there is for people who would come out and kind of say actually we don't trust this it doesn't make sense because mm. there's no detail the the less likely uh, hood of it actually being able mm. to land in a successful way because if, it, if it's going to be successful it's going to you know presumably need um, a lot of the medical leadership to get behind it and persuade their fellow doctors that, it, that you should trust it and believe in it and, mm, and, and work on the basis of it yeah and the bma um will have a huge role in this and um getting their members on board mm-hmm. um yeah i think i think it's interesting as you say that it hasn't been hasn't been signed off yet um usually when um something like this is going on i'm just thinking of the agenda for change contract there's a whole committee that has to sign that off at a high level you know and this is something that they're trying to turn around in a number of days i mean we don't know how long this has been in in discussions for but i mean i wouldn't imagine more than a a few weeks surely considering Mm. when the letter came out it's a it's a really interesting issue to come up sort of during a general election campaign isn't it because um the you know the nhs has sort of taken center stage so far that labor have made it so um but and this is this is in a way the number one pressing issue for the nhs at the moment so you'd come in some ways you'd expect them to really hammer this this point home but um they've been reluctant to do that because as you were saying they know um a lot of the people who have lost out are quite high earners and those are of course the people they want to they want to tax more Mm. Mm, Um, and so it was interesting last week at the at the Labour's uh, NHS kind of event that that they wouldn't commit to scrapping the tape or anything all all they'd said is they would review it really that's interesting because I think we know that um you know that Matt Hancock is in favour of scrapping the taper um so it'd be really interesting to know what uh the labor take with that on that would be because obviously this just isn't an issue for the nhs that the taper applies to the whole of the public sector so if you do something for the nhs do you have to do it for high earning judges firefighters uh very senior um members of the police force you know yeah mm. so yeah the the, we, the impression is labor are not uh the, well the labor said they review it they haven't hurried mm. to actually put forward a solution and we're interested uh to watch probably this weekend um from the Conservative manifesto, uh, whether they the, the suggestion I think um, Annabelle is that they're the, the Conservatives or Matt Hancock at least do have a proposed solution in their head for their that they may like to put in their manifesto. Is that is that fair? Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm not sure whether it's going to be in their manifesto, but um, I think considering the pressing nature of this issue now, perhaps they just can't escape it. Mm. Okay, thank you. Um, back to pensions again in not too long away, I'm sure. Um, but let's move on um, to our to our final issue for today, um, which is a, a sort of um, interesting case in relation to the Barking, Havering and Redbridge um, University Hospitals Found uh, Trust um, in East London, um, which is is a kind of a kind of long saga of, of financial problems and sort of uh, getting getting itself into hot water over trying to solve those. But this week. Um, uh, this week, the the, the latest um, finance director there um, has uh, decided to, to to announce that he's going to leave, and it's an interesting case for a for a number of reasons. Um, uh, can you explain why, Lawrence? Yeah, so uh, the finance director Nick Swift uh, resi- uh, announced his resignation earlier this week. There's an email that went out to staff. He's been there about fourteen months. Um, and the the, uh, the message was interesting because it, it 
staff were told that he wanted to take responsibility for the lack of progress that they'd made on recovering their finances. Um, for, for those that don't know the background, the, the, the trust had a kind of a, a major uh, financial collapse in, in 2017 before uh, Nick Swift's arrival. Uh, the board realised there was a huge hole in the budget and uh, had to ask the Department of Health for an emergency loan. Uh, subsequently, m kind of multiple external reviews revealed a whole raft of uh, management and governance failings. Uh, so Nick Swift was appointed in September 2018 uh, and it kind of looked a really interesting and in some ways impressive appointment at the time because he... He'd had 20 years largely in the private sector, including as the chief financial officer of British Airways. Um, and so it felt like it really could be a turning point for Barking, uh, which had become a kind of byword for financial failure in the NHS. Uh, but he's obviously found it a lot harder than he expected. Um, the trust really f uh, struggled to deliver its sufficiency savings uh, this year, which it needed to hit to, to meet its 50 million deficit control total. Um, and it, it, it was off track by about nine million at the end of October. Um, it, I mean, it kind of pales in comparison to what was happening at the trust before. Uh, but clearly, he, he he kind of thought it was the right thing to do um, after after that record. It's worth pointing out because it's often the case with with these sort of board level departures. Um, the trust insists there was no pressure, kind of, from regulators or the board for him to go, and it was his decision. Um, it'd be it'd be really interesting to hear from him about his experience in the NHS, um, which, uh, and I've kind of asked the trust for for, for an interview, um, and still waiting for a reply on that. Mm. And it's it's obviously kicked off. Um, you know, this has kicked off a pretty. Um, active debate on um on the hsj website the marita comments uh, and on twitter too um give us a flavor of some of that discussion of, of you know both the manner of um manner of the way that nick announced his um announced his departure and um and the private sector background what, what are people saying yeah uh, i think a lot of people are kind of uh, uh giving him credit really for kind of fronting up and taking responsibility um, and others are others are questioning where the board and the and the trust clinical leaders were in this. It, you know, it's not just down to the finance director to to improve the deficit. It's it's down to the whole board, uh, and and the clinical directorates. Um, uh, there was there was another commenter who who uh, who are, uh, and there might be truth in this. Who pointed out that. Uh, you know, plenty of uh, NHS finance directors would probably be keen to leave the service at the moment, but they perhaps don't have the same range of options as as someone like uh, Nick Swift, mm. uh, who who obviously has that long background in the private sector. Yeah, I was going to say, how how does this make this situation slightly different that he has come from the private sector, and have you noticed a trend at all? Yeah, I suppose it's different, but just because you don't, I, I haven't often seen people coming in from that type of role to 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 take nhs uh fd jobs they t finance directors tend to kind of work their way up from within trust um and i was i was trying to think of other um other people that had come in from the private sector and and had done well or badly and it, it's hard to think of that many actually the, the only one that came to mind uh initially was Siobhan McArdle who was chief exec at South Tees who had, who'd 
spent a long time as a management consultant, including at uh, PwC, I think. Um, she she was there for four years and kind of ticked along, but um, left quite dramatically earlier in the year, um, talking about the regulatory challenge and saying life was just too short um, and the efficiency requirements were too difficult to meet. Mm. Um, so you know that's an interesting link between her and her and Nick Swift. Um, it is. I mean, it's, it's possibly a, a slightly different um, cup of tea to compare compare chief execs to to, to for people in the, in the finance director or director of strategy and things like that, where you can we may not know all the cases where people decide at some point in their career to come into the NHS, but 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 bringing in NHS chief execs from the private sector is often a a kind of sort of uh, slight sort of celebrity issue that politicians like to mm. uh, happen upon every few years. I think the last instance was under Jeremy Hunt, where the government would like to kind of find a way to to bring in um, private sector but you talent. See it, you see it quite often, don't you? Sorry, Rebecca, but yeah. you, you see often um, when someone's appointed from the private sector, it's it's made a point that they've they're coming to join the NHS from outside. And I've been at numerous conferences, and I'm sure you have as well, where. What can the NHS learn from the private sector? Attract people from the private sector to the NHS, but this is obviously obviously an example where it hasn't worked. And maybe that's about the NHS, or maybe this is about the trust. It seems to be a bit of a myth to me that you, uh, the NHS has created that you get these saviors that come in from the private sector. But uh, off the top of my head, I can't really think of a yeah, substantial saviour uh, that has come in. Um, not to say that they've done a worse job, but I. I don't think it necessarily gives them a golden CV. Mm. Tim Smart did quite a few years um, at, um, at, at King's uh, College uh, Hospital Foundation Trust, he, he coming from BT Global Health, which was possibly any coming in um, to a very big trust like that. He was one of the one of the big cases over the last sort of decade, and he he, he easily there was there for a for a decent duration um, um, with with some success, but also yeah. Clearly, not a sort of silver bullet solution because Kings has now found itself in a lot of severe difficulty. Um, and the other cases um, that we could think of, Paul Mears coming to a much much smaller trust in Yeovil um, a few years ago, and again, uh, and he left and, and is no longer in NHS chief executive position. So there's no, it's very, we we certainly uh, between us chatting before couldn't think of cases of, of people who are still in um, who've come in from the private sector and are still successfully in very senior um, NHS management positions there are I think possibly management consultancies an exception where there's one or two one or two out there um, I can't remember if it's Oxford or, or UCLH possibly I think one of those guys came from, mm. from management consultants Lawrence I just wanted to ask about um, the future of this trust it's obviously as you said um, it's been a, it's been a long running um, story here what do you think is going to happen now well, we we know they've got a merger planned with the, uh, the with the mental health trust on, on its patch, which is again quite unusual that they already share uh, a chairman, um, and I think that's due to happen in the next couple of years. Um, so w- whether that w- whether that will be a good thing, I don't know. Um, on the finances, it is it is hard to see a, a way back. Really, they they've still got a deficit of fifty million. Um, and yes, that they'll have kind of financial recovery funding um, to help them over the next uh, four or five years. Um, but they'll they'll also have a huge um, book of uh, liabilities um, in in the form of the the bailout loans that they've had to draw down from the Department of Health. So 
I, I can't really see under the under the current system and structure how that how they're ever going to get back into surplus. Mm. Can uh, I, mm. Is this a job that anyone can do? I mean, um, he was only in post for fourteen months, so will the next person that comes along necessarily be able to fix it? <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's very very difficult to see how anyone can just come along and fix it, and and indeed he may, he may. He he was highly spoken of actually from from uh, people in the trust, and he may well have done a done a decent job and as well as uh, as well a, as good a job as anyone would have done. Um, it's 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 hard to say really. The it is as well. The I've seen some uh, NHS uh, people speaking from the other point of view is wouldn't the accountable thing to to have been done to stick around and continue trying to fix it if he's actually making inroads. Um, but it's perhaps unfair to judge someone's uh, career choices in that way. But. Quite, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, It's with it, without kind of speaking to him and, and interrogating him a bit more, right. it, it's difficult to know, isn't it? But ultimately, he might, he might have just not not been enjoying it that much and had a tempting offer from, from somewhere else. Right. Nick, come on the podcast next week. We'd love to talk to you. <laughs> Um, and we've come to the end of our time this week. Um, we um, uh, uh, talk um, on Thursday afternoon, shortly after the publication of the Labour Party manifesto, and, and we're expecting the Conservative um, Party manifesto to be published over the weekend, perhaps, or early next week. So we're going to plan to bring you an HSJ health check manifesto um, special at uh, some point early next week. Um, so please join us for that. That will be available across all the normal channels and on the HSJ website. Um, uh, please do spread the word of our HSJ Health Check podcast um, on social media um, and in real life and anywhere else you could choose to share it. Um, if there are any issues you'd like us to tackle or discuss, send us any feedback, um, good or bad, via email dave.west at wilmingtonhealthcare.com or Twitter uh, at Dave W West or at HSJ News. Um, and see you early next week for the manifesto special. Thank you, everybody. Thank you.